Hey guys. Hi. Um, hey, so my name is Aaron, uh, or Chip, depending on who you ask. Um, I get the, the pleasure this weekend of getting to hang out with you guys, getting to open up God's Word with you, and getting to walk through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to jump into that here in just a second, but I want to pray for us first uh, before we jump in this evening. So let's pray. Dear God, uh, God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we get to gather together tonight, that we get to open up your word. Father, we pray that as we, as we read the words of Scripture, as we read these words penned by Solomon um, and inspired by your spirit, Father, I pray that we, would, that we would come to a deeper understanding of who you are, of who we are in relationship to you, and God, how that gives our lives purpose and, and, and meaning and direction. So, Father, please be with us tonight. Guide our thoughts and our minds and our hearts as we walk through your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. So I said my name is Aaron or Chip. Uh, that's because my actual name, my real name, like that my mother calls me, is Aaron. Um, but I spent about four years living and working up here at Hume, um, and I worked over in Wagon Train. Any of, did any of you here go to Wagon Train? Any former wagon trainers? A few of you. Wagon train is our elementary camp here at Hume. So I worked with the kids up, up here uh, during the summer. And we, uh, in wagon train, we have camp names. So I was Wagon Master Chip. That was my name. It's a Western camp. So that was like my cowboy name was Wagon Master Chip. And uh, the name has just stuck with me. And I get to be Chip for the rest of my life. So um, Aaron Chip, either one works. I, I currently live down in Kingsburg, uh, which is Kingsburg, California, just down the hill from here. It's a little farming town just south of Fresno. Um, and I serve as a, as a pastor at a church down there. Um, I'm married. I have two kids. I think we have a picture of our family up there. So that's my wife, Anna, and our two little boys. That's Caleb. He's the little one in front there. He's three just turned three, and then Grant uh, is the, the taller one back there. He's six, um, and uh, that's my family. They're not up here this weekend. They, they had to stay home, but uh, I, you guys will be, I'll tell you a lot of stories about my boys um, this weekend, I'm sure. Um, actually, it's, it's fun. So my wife and I, we've been married, uh, believe it or not, for 14 years. Our 15th anniversary is this summer. So we're stoked about that. Um, and you're asking how old I am in your brains, I know. Um, you don't get to know that. So anyway, um, we've been married for 14 years. And my wife and I are very much the same in a lot of ways. We, we love a lot of the same things. We think the same way on a lot of things. But we're also like total opposites in a number of like really important ways. So one of those is that I am an optimist, all right? I'm always an optimist. And if you're an optimist, you're also a, a procrastinator uh, because you go, I got enough time. I totally have enough time, right? So, so I'm an optimist. Um, I, I procrastinate and I always show up late. Both are functions of opt of optimism. Um, and my wife is a total pessimist, right? And it, it works because anything that comes up in our, in our life, in our marriage, I'm always like, it'll be fine. And she's always like, the sky is falling. And the answer, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle of those two things, right? Uh, and and so, so it works. Actually, when we were taking this picture, you can see Grant, my oldest, See how genuine that smile is? Um, it's definitely not. Uh, he had strep throat uh, during that, those pictures, and my wife was like, we should reschedule, and I was like, it'll be fine, and that was the least pained look we got out of Grant all day. So um, 
you know, the truth was somewhere in the middle. But she's the optimist, I'm the pessimist. Wait, other way around. I'm the optimist, she's the pessimist. Anyway, um, and, uh, and so in some ways, for me, as kind of the, the undying optimist, the book of Ecclesiastes uh, is a little bit of a, of a difficulty. Uh, because the book that we're going to look at, it comes off as very, very pessimistic. Uh, especially uh, the first section that we're going to look at tonight. And, and if you're like me, it's like, man, just stop whining, dude. Uh, just, just get over it. Just, just be happy. Just, I want everyone to be happy all the time, right? And, but Ecclesiastes, at least parts of it, are, they're, they're kind of a downer, but there's a reason for it. See, Solomon's not just whining. He's not just complaining. What he's really doing, he's being a realist. He's showing us the truth of life under the sun, of life in this world. And sometimes it's not a pretty picture. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Ecclesiastes. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. Ecclesiastes 1, 1. And the first thing that we see here in Ecclesiastes is we're introduced to our author. We're introduced to this guy named Solomon. It says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Who is the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem? That's a man named Solomon, King Solomon. Now, in the video, you saw Solomon represented by this guy, Adam Campbell, right? This kind of Steve Jobs character in that video, this guy who has everything going for him. He's representing Solomon in the biblical narrative, Solomon in, in, in history, in, in truth, okay? So that's who he is, but who really was Solomon? Well, Steve Jobs is maybe the closest analog we could put into the video to give you kind of an idea of the level of this guy's success, but in a lot of different ways, in every way, this guy makes Steve Jobs look like a joke, all right? He makes Elon Musk look like a peasant. He makes Stephen Hawking look like an idiot, okay? Solomon had everything going for him. So, first of all, he's the king in Jerusalem, right? The, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. He was a man of incredible power. He's the king over an empire that has the backing of God and has spent the last two generations just wiping their enemies off the face of the earth. Has spent the last two generations conquering this whole area, this whole region, and he is king over this mighty, stable empire. That's who Solomon is. He's powerful. Position of, of authority and honor and dignity. But more than that, he's also incredibly rich, incredibly wealthy. We get descriptions of this in scripture and people have gone in and they, they've done kind of the math, right? When you account for inflation and all these different things, they've, they've done the math on what Solomon's wealth would look like today. So if Solomon was living today, the amount of money that he had back then would be roughly 2.1 trillion dollars. Okay, that's trillion with a T. That's not billion, that's not million, that's 2.1 trillion dollars. Let me put that into context for you. Let me put it into perspective. At 2.1 trillion dollars as his net worth, Solomon 
has eight times as much money as Elon Musk. Solomon has 15 times the net worth of Jeff Bezos. He has 18 Zuckerbergs in his bank account. All right, he's got 20 Bill Gates in his wallet. That's how much money Solomon has. Incredibly, exorbitantly wealthy. He is a king who rules over a vast and mighty empire, and he has deeper pockets than anyone in history. Solomon also, as we see in scripture, is very popular with the ladies, all right? The Bible says that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. A concubine is basically a wife that he didn't want to be able to be called queen, right? So effectively, he's got a thousand women. He's got all the money in the world. He has a thousand wives, effectively. He rules and has this, this um, position of authority and power over this mighty kingdom. And by every, every earthly metric, Solomon has absolutely everything going for him. He has succeeded in absolutely every conceivable way. He has everything that you could ever want, everything that anyone could hope for, and yet what is his conclusion about those things? Well, if we keep reading in Ecclesiastes 1, we see that. The very next verse, verse 2. Vanity of vanities says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What's his conclusion about all of these things? Vanity of vanities. That word vanity, maybe we don't use it so much. We might talk about being vain or, or being, you know, we think of vanity as being concerned with looks, but really, what he's, he's saying, that word vanity, it has in it this idea of something being a, a, a mist, a vapor, a breath. So when, when you guys came up the mountain today, I'm betting that most of you came from places that were a lot warmer than when you got out of your bus and you got up here, right? When you step out and you breathe and you can see your breath, right? When you guys leave the chapel today, you'll see your breath in front of you. You go, and you see that mist, Right? That's what Solomon is saying of all these things. All this money I have, all this power that I have, all, all, these, every, all these women, all these things that I have, it's like a, a breath. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's there, and then as soon as you see it, it's gone. And he goes on, and he, he extrapolates on this over the next few verses, starting in verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all of his toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and goes down and it hastens to its place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then goes around north and around and around the wind goes on its circuits and the wind returns all streams also run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again, and all things are full of weariness. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, the ear not filled with hearing. And what has been 
is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of that which it is said, see, it is new. It already has been in the ages before us and there is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to come among those who come after. So what does he say? He says, hey, all of those things, all those riches, all of, all of that stuff that I have accumulated, all those ways that you might say that I'm successful, it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. Why? Because it's here today and gone tomorrow. It's, it's temporary. It doesn't last. It's all been done before. It'll all be done again. So my boys, I showed you guys earlier, Caleb, the three-year-old, he loves to play with blocks. But three-year-olds don't use blocks to build. They use blocks to destroy. All right, my three-year-old is a little kaiju, okay? He's a little Godzilla, all right? And when, by play with blocks, what that means is that he calls me over and demands that I build a tower. And I build that tower. And as soon as I step back from that tower, Godzilla comes in, right? And he's going to knock that tower down and wreck it. And then he demands that I build the tower again. And so I build the tower and then he wrecks it and over and over and over again. Look, the Bible doesn't teach the idea of purgatory, but if purgatory existed, it would be playing blocks with a three-year-old because it goes on forever. And you do the same thing over and over. And that's what, that's what Solomon is saying, that that's what this life is. That all of these things, all of this stuff, all of our work that, by which we accumulate all of these things for ourselves, it's meaningless. It's like a, a vapor. It's your breath in the wind. It's here and then it's gone. It's been done before. It will be done again. It doesn't last. And not only does it not last, even the remembrance of it doesn't last. It says, there is no remembrance of the things that have come before. Solomon says, yes, I have all of these things. I have all of this wealth. I've succeeded in all of these ways, but not only am I going to be gone tomorrow, or my riches going to be gone tomorrow, or is my wealth going to be gone tomorrow, but my deeds will be forgotten tomorrow. So will yours. It's this idea that even the remembrance of something doesn't last. Have you ever been a part of something? like a big part of something, like a, a friend group or a team, or maybe you worked a job or something like that, and, and you went away from that thing, maybe you moved away, and then you came back and you visited, and you realized that like, your friend group kept on like, living and going on and making new friends and maybe getting in fights and breaking friendships, and, and, and the, the whole thing went on without you. And like in your mind, that thing, that place, that time, that team, it freezes in place when you walk away, but the reality is it, it goes on. It continues. I, I told you guys I lived up here for about four years, and I was in a, a job where a lot of people knew me, because um, I was on stage a lot, and I talked a lot, and, and, uh, and I would come into the snack shop, and I would place my order, and they would know, oh, okay, it's chips, you know, whatever. And I remember it was maybe three months after I left and I came into the snack shop and someone took my order and they asked me my name. And I was shook. So I was like, I, I just, I thought they would know my name. Right, and it sounds arrogant because it is, it's ridiculous, but 
But the reality is that the place moved on. There was no longer remembrance of me, and it took three months. So this is what Solomon is saying. All of these things, they're temporary. All of these things are temporary. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. They're a vapor in the wind, and even the remembrance of them is temporary. So Solomon, this man with all kinds of riches, with all kinds of women, with all kinds of power, he says, none of that is lasting. All of it is temporary. But that's not all Solomon had to his name. See, Solomon is maybe the richest man who has ever lived, but he's also the wisest man who has ever lived. Listen to what scripture says about Solomon's wisdom. You don't have to turn there, but this is out of 1 Kings chapter 4. 1 Kings 4, starting in verse 26, it says this. Sorry, verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, like the breadth of mind, sorry, and breadth of mind like sand on the seashore, right? So comparing Solomon's knowledge to the grains of sand on the seashore. That's how vast it is. Breadth of mind like the sands on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people in the east and all the people of Egypt. He was far wiser than other men, wiser than Ethan and the Ezraites and Heman and Calcol and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame in the surrounding, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. And he spoke also 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He also spoke of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And listen to this and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So he's given this wisdom, this, this knowledge that is so great, that is so vast, that the reputation of his wisdom, of his knowledge, of his learning spreads all over the world. Now, this isn't like social media, right? This isn't a digital age. No, this is, these are people who sit under the teaching of Solomon and are so blown away that they journey back across the world and they tell everyone along the way of this incredible intellect of this King Solomon. And word of his knowledge spreads all over the world so that people and kings of all the nations are coming just to learn, just to glean some bit of the wisdom of Solomon. He's not just the wealthiest guy He's not just the most powerful. He's not just, you know, the most popular with the ladies. He's also the smartest guy, all right? He's got everything going for him, but all of those other things, those, those, the, the women and the, the power and the money and all that, he says it's, it's meaningless. But what about the wisdom? What about the knowledge? Well, if we keep reading in Ecclesiastes 1, we jump down to 116. This is what we'll see that Solomon says about his own knowledge. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has a great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. This is like trying to, to catch the wind. It's pointless. It's meaningless. He goes on to explain this more in chapter 2. Chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it says, The wise person has his eyes in his head, and the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived 
that the same event happens to all of them. Then my heart says, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. So we have a guy whose wealth makes Musk look poor, whose knowledge makes Hawking look dumb, who has everything going for him, And what is his conclusion on all of those things? In 1.14, he says it clearly. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. It's all vapor. It's all your breath in the wind. It's all a striving after wind. He says, all of this that I have, including my knowledge, including my learning, all of it is meaningless and pointless because it's all going to come to an end. The wise dies just like the fool does. And so he says in no uncertain terms, life is meaningless. But he gives it a qualifier. He doesn't just say life is meaningless. What does he say? He says life is meaningless under the sun. Life under the sun is meaningless. Now, what does that mean? It means this. It means that if the only reality is that which we can see and feel and touch and hear and taste, if the only reality is the material world around us, then there is no meaning in any of it. If there's not something higher and deeper and more profound and more true than the world that we see and feel and taste and hear and touch, if there's not something more than that, then life is meaningless. All that's left is you and the infinite void. Kind of makes you want to play saxophone. That's from Mario. Anyway, um... If this is all there is, then it's all meaningless. And that's what I mean when I say that Ecclesiastes feels like a pessimistic book. (laughs) Because at first reading, you go, man, just read two chapters of this guy telling me that my life is pointless, that nothing I do matters, that that there's no point or purpose or end or goal, that, that it's all just meaningless, and no matter what I do, will never fulfill me. I'll never feel fulfilled. I'll never feel like I have purpose. And at some level, I think we've all felt this. Every one of us, from the richest to the poorest. When When I was preparing for this, I went on YouTube and I just typed in the words depressed celebrity. And I saw video after video of these interviews of some of the most successful people in the world, like... It was like Billie Eilish and The the Rock and Marilyn Monroe and um, all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds and 
incredibly wealthy, famous, successful people talking about their struggles with, with depression, with loneliness, with a lostness, a sense of, of directionlessness in their lives. And Solomon seems to be echoing that, but he's qualifying it and he's saying, hey, if this is everything, then it's not worth anything. But the implication in what Solomon's saying is that this isn't everything. That life under the sun is not all that there is. That life under the sun is not the highest and truest and deepest and most profound reality. But that there's something greater and more that gives purpose and meaning and direction to life here and now under the sun. And what is that? Well, it's the one who created life under the sun. It's God himself. We see in Ephesians 4, 6, it says this of God. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. See, he is not under the sun because he is over all. He rules and he reigns over it. And as we look through scripture and we learn more about who this God is, we see things like in John chapter one, when it says that everything that has, made, has been made has been made by him and through him. That he is the creator of all things. Or, or we see in Psalm chapter 24, it says that all things that exist belong to him. Says that the earth is his and the fullness thereof. See, he created all things and he rules and reigns over all things. And even beyond that, all things were made by him and for him and for a purpose. In Romans eleven six it says that by him and to him and through him are all things. That all things are to him. Means that all things are given direction, all things are given purpose by him. And you know what? You and I, we are included in all things. If this world is all there is, then everything you do has an expiration date. Because if this world is all that there is, then you have an expiration date. Nothing you do will last. It's all a vapor in the wind. But the reality is different. The reality is that the God of the universe, who created everything by the very power of his voice, he made you in his image to know and to love and to serve him. And he made you for a purpose. He made you for something. He made you for himself. And it is he who gives you purpose, who gives purpose to this life because he made it and he oriented and he gave it a direction. Everything under the sun, everything in this world is meaningless when it is detached from its higher purpose that is given by its creator. It's like a puzzle piece, right? We saw that in the video. It's a, it's a puzzle piece that when it's detached from the picture on the box, when it's taken away from, from its purpose, from its, 
its context. It's taken away from what it was created for and, and being a part of that picture. When it's isolated, when it's taken away from that purpose, that puzzle piece becomes meaningless. So is everything under the sun. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you? Does it mean that your relationships or your, your hobbies or your desires or your dreams or your hopes or your plans or what you do in this world, does it mean that it's meaningless? To put it even more bluntly, does this mean that your life is pointless? Not at all. No, not at all. What it means is that your life has great purpose and great meaning and great value. But until you know the God who made you, the God who you belong to, the God who made you for relationship with him, until you know that God, you're a puzzle piece apart from the picture. And until you know that God, you will always be lost searching for meaning and searching for purpose. Because your purpose can only be found in the God who made you on purpose for a purpose. Can only be found in him. This sense of purpose, this understanding of our meaning. Sometimes the, God, the Bible calls this wisdom that is from above. Wisdom that is from above, wisdom that is from God. This is different than the learning and knowledge that Solomon talked about that said was meaningless. No, this is specifically a wisdom and knowledge, not of the world, but of God. In Proverbs, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. What does that mean? It means if we want to have this sense of purpose, if we want to know why we were created, if we want to know what makes our life more than just a vapor in the wind, then we need to have an understanding of the God who made us. We need to know the God who crafted us. We need to have an understanding of who he is of his majesty, of his beauty, of his glory, of his holiness, an understanding of his power and of his mercy. We need to be in awe of who he is because it is with that awe of God, that understanding and appreciation of him that we find our purpose in giving him glory and honor and praise by the things that we do and we say and the ways that we live our lives. Because without that, without that sense of ultimate purpose, that sense of ultimate direction, that we were made by God for his glory, without that understanding, then all the things that we do here under the sun are like a vapor, a mist, a breath in the wind. We're going to talk this weekend more about what it means to know God. What it, what it means to fear him, what it means to find purpose in our lives that is given to us by our creator. But tonight, I just want to leave you with this question. Are you living with a true, lasting, eternal purpose? Or are you living a life of vanity? 
a life focused on the things under the sun, a life focused on things that are here today and that are gone tomorrow, searching for meaning in things that have nothing to offer you in the ultimate accounting of things? Are you living a life of genuine, lasting, eternal purpose? Or is your life a vapor in the wind? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this um, sobering question of what we're living our lives for. Father, I pray for the students in this room, I pray that they would come to the realization that you are the only thing that lasts for eternity. God, please help us to see the value of knowing you, loving you, serving you. Please help us to see that you created us and that it's only in the fear of you, the knowledge of you, the love of you, the awe of you that we can find ultimate meaning and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.